Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The following podcast contains dramatizations of actual events. Certain situations, dialogue, names, and locations may have been changed. Some scenes are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. From the moment they were born, identical twins, Jennifer and June Gibbons, were outcasts. The twins would have been a couple of black dots in a sea of white faces. You're shy, you've got a speech impediment. You're twins, and you're black. As girls, the Gibbons twins were subjected to torment by their peers. Oh, they'd just pull their hair, put their heads down the toilet. To protect themselves, the twins began to live in silence. They were mute and locked into a world of their own. But their silence would soon explode into a violent rage. Twins wanted to be known as the greatest arsonists the town had ever seen. And all the while, they shared a secret pact that would unlock an unbelievable mystery. She said, I could just kill her now, and then I'd be free. Identical twins June and Jennifer Gibbons head to trial in Wales in the United Kingdom. June and Jennifer entered the courtroom. They did so with one trailing the other, walking in step, their heads bowed down. They stand accused of a series of sensational crimes. There'd been a series of arson attacks and things around Haverford West, which had created a great deal of excitement. Each fire is more devastating than the last. The 
The twins broke into an agricultural store and set fire to a couple of tractors, went outside, watched the firemen come, and the twins were delighted to read about it in the papers the next day. They had this sort of rather romanticized notion of themselves as these masked arsonists. Their spree finally ended when they broke into another educational establishment and they were caught trying to burn the place down. Though they've been nicknamed the terrible twins in the press, the sisters never speak in their own defense. They remain silent throughout. It was the most bizarre thing you'd ever see, and it shocked everyone. The lawyers advised the twins pled guilty. Nobody asked to come forward at the trial to speak on behalf of the twins. It was basically a backroom deal that had been done by the lawyers. And that was it. All rise. The Gibbons twins are shown little mercy for their crimes. Ladies, you are hereby sentenced to the Broadmoor Hospital for the criminally insane. It was decided that the best place for them would be Broadmoor Hospital for the criminally insane. In the kind of mythology of Britain, Broadmoor is a very scary place. It's the kind of place you could have nightmares about. Broadmoor is a secure psychiatric facility for people who are determined to be criminally dangerous, like sexual predators and people who commit murders and other acts of high treason. The decision was taken to send the girls for an indefinite period of time. That's a scary sentence, because that can mean forever. And these twin sisters, once so full of promise, will soon find themselves in hell. After years of traveling the globe with the Royal Air Force, Aubrey and Gloria Gibbons emigrate from their native Barbados to the United Kingdom. It was a time when a lot of people from the West Indies came to England, and England was seen as the mother country. Aubrey and Gloria are parents to twin daughters, June and Jennifer. They hoped their children would have a better future in the UK. Coming to the UK was a great opportunity for the family and it meant the twins would have a great education and a good start in life. The parents were deeply proud of their daughters and made a point to celebrate their twinness. The time when June and Jennifer Gibbons were growing up, I think the custom then was if you had twins, you put them in the same clothes and they were dressed identically. From their outward appearance, June and Jennifer certainly were attractive, pleasant children. So from the outside, they certainly looked like, you know, happy children who didn't have any problems or difficulties. But that certainly belied what was going to occur to them later. The girls cherished their identicalness, but a keen eye could distinguish between the two. They were identical, but there were tiny discernible differences, and you could tell them apart. June was the more intelligent. But Jennifer was the domineering one, and she was the one that pulled the strings in their relationship. As the twins grow, their parents notice their daughters were developing differently from other children. The girls were... A little odd. They didn't talk to anyone. One of the reasons they didn't talk was because they actually both had a speech impediment and were tongue-tied. That's when your tongue doesn't move as freely as it should in your mouth. 
And I think that they were often frustrated because people couldn't understand them. The Gibbons twins had a short frenulum, which I think the phrase, they were tongue-tied, could have been used in a literal and a metaphorical way. And life for the young twins would soon grow worse. The Gibbons family moved to Haverford West, an old Welsh town nestled on the banks of the western Clethi River. It was a fairly remote place to be living in. That's where Aubrey's job had sent him, and that's where they had to live. They were then the only black family in Haverford West, and so something of a sort of curiosity. You know, you're in a small Welsh community, they haven't seen black people before. The twins struggled to fit into a culture that often found their different accents, skin, and hair unusual. Oh, the UK in those days really struggled with racism. The twins would have been a couple of black dots in a sea of white faces. And their speech impediment made matters worse. Their speech impediment mixed with their West Indian accents made it very hard for people to understand them. When they spoke to each other, their language was very stilted and very fast. It was very difficult to understand it. Given their race, their twinness, and their difficulty with communication, the sisters are treated differently from other children. A lot of things about June and Jennifer made them stand out as different at a time in which kids want to be anything but different. In response, June and Jennifer pull towards each other. They needed to draw comfort from being the same and identical as someone else. The notion that that identicalness was in any way compromised by any slight difference in their appearance must have felt very threatening to them. Soon their movements become as identical as their looks. They would do step into class one behind the other. It was like the school had a pair of robots attending classes. And throughout the long school day, the twin girls remain nearly totally silent. Ladies, June, Jennifer. They were mute, virtually, as far as their teachers were concerned, and they were totally different. They were already locked into a world of their own that nobody else could penetrate. They had refused to speak to anybody, to such an extent that actually quite a lot of the people at the school thought that they didn't even speak English. And the silence draws unwanted and sometimes unkind attention. Both June and Jennifer were mocked by their classmates. These kids were cruel, really intolerant of anyone different. Students would rip handfuls of hair from their heads and call them terrible names. They'd pull their hair, put their heads down the toilet, all sorts of unpleasantness. June and Jennifer responded to this appalling treatment silence and if it was getting really gruesome they would just put their arms on one another's shoulders and just bow their heads and take whatever was coming they were badly bullied at school 
to the extent that the teachers would sometimes let them out early ahead of the other children so they could avoid them. The Gibbons twins would leave the school in the same bizarre fashion they arrived. And then they'd walk out of school in absolute unison, one behind the other, moving like automata, really. They moved in total synchronicity, but very, very slowly. It was as if they were one person. They were locked in this world of being identical twins, two minds, two hearts, two bodies, but they were too close. June, Jennifer. The twins refuse to speak to anyone but each other, and their silence begins to take a toll at home. They made it very clear to their parents they wanted to be left alone in their own strange and unusual world. I think Gloria and Aubrey's way of dealing with it was to hope that the girls would grow out of it. But the twins' self-imposed isolation won't last long. There was a storm brewing. The twins had been oppressed for so long, something was bound to snap. And the girls will soon learn they can't live with or without each other. They sort of tried to drown each other in this pond. They even wrote in their diaries that the only way they would be free is if one of them was dead. Since the day they arrived in their small Welsh town, identical twins June and Jennifer Gibbons have been outcasts. It was extremely difficult to integrate into a white society at that time. And it certainly didn't help that the twins were so different from everybody in Wales. They were picked on in school, bullied and even tortured by some students. The twin sisters have built a wall of silence and communicate only with each other. You've got a speech impediment. You're twins and you're black you're going to retreat into the person that you feel safest with. Their parents are determined to get the girls help. Jude, Jennifer, but please. But the Jennifer. cure may turn out we to be worse something. than the disease. They were enrolled in Eastgate to deal with their handicaps. The girls still can't talk properly. So the only solution is to call in the professionals to take charge of the twins. Despite a fresh start in a new school, the twins remain non-responsive to instructors. The first thing we tried to do really was to establish were there any differences between them. And uh, we drew a blank really. In the dining hall at the school eating, they ate incredibly slowly and sometimes in unison. Long after the other children had finished and eaten everything and gone, June and Jennifer would be sitting at the table, still eating in this incredibly sort of strange and slow way. With no signs of improvement, psychologists devise a new strategy. The psychologists who were attempting to formulate a diagnosis came up with a, a very interesting and ingenious strategy. 
They secretly left an audio tape in the room where they could actually record the girls. And sure enough, what they discovered from those secret recordings was indeed they could talk. Listening to these hidden tapes, they make a remarkable discovery. Can, can you make it go slow? What she found, these slightly incomprehensible sounds on the tape recorder, she slowed down and found that actually what they were doing was speaking English perfectly well, but at very high speed. It is very staccato and very fast. You know, I couldn't imitate it, really. I wouldn't be able to do it. But I don't think there was any secret language per se. They were just chatting away in their own highly specialized language. The psychologists spend hours decoding the twins' conversation and determine the girls are selective mutes. Selective mutism is an anxiety condition, a phobia of hearing yourself talk. There is a very clear, consistent, predictable pattern about when children can and can't speak. They also have this body tension and this avoidance and they avoid every situation where there might be an expectation to talk. Officials believe the more submissive June is the key to unlocking the mystery of the silent twins. There certainly seemed to be some suspicion by psychologists who were evaluating June and Jennifer that if left in a room alone without Jennifer, that June may be more cooperative, more willing to speak or say what was on her mind. But that because Jennifer was domineering and would give signals, both verbal and nonverbal, to June, that she just didn't go along with the program. Convinced their inseparability may be impeding their progress, psychologists attempt a radical new therapy. The doctors decided that they would try to separate them because none of the other therapies they were using had worked. Separate the girls? Separate. No. Separating the twins is a last-ditch effort. Both the parents and the school are running out of options. And so the Gibbons twins are presented with a painful choice. One of them was to go to Carmarthen and one was to stay at Eastgate. And they said to the girls, you decide who's going to go. They were having what could only be described as a very heated discussion about the whole thing. But they were, the pair of them were very, very angry about it all. I think they were trying to decide who's going to go and who's going to stay. Bound from birth, neither twin can imagine an existence without the other. They were standing almost toe-to-toe, and Jennifer was hitting June like an automaton. You are Jennifer. You are Jennifer. Bang. And June would hit her back then, and it was like... It was almost in slow motion. Unable to fathom separation, June and Jennifer break their silence and make a desperate plea to stay together. No go. They couldn't face it. They were choosing to stay together, and our argument was, surely we should give them the opportunity to see what life is like when they're not totally bound up in one another. What right have we got to separate them? For the time being, the twins are left alone, but their days together are numbered. 
when they weren't separated, things went back to exactly like they were before, and that was they weren't speaking to anybody. Despite the girls' protestations, they eventually, administrators and mental health professionals at Eastgate decide to separate the girls. For the first time in their young lives, the Gibbons twins are torn apart. Jennifer stayed at Eastgate and June went, and they were both so distressed that they became really a cause of great concern. June seemingly becomes catatonic. She won't get out of bed. She's severely depressed. When she does stand up, they have to prop her against the wall so she'll continue to stand up. She was just standing rigid like a statue in the adolescent unit and kids would walk past her and wipe her nose as they walked past. Officials fear the forced separation is causing the sisters to rapidly deteriorate. Nobody could actually do anything with them, and it was a failed experiment. Separating them was worse than them being together. I think everyone felt that they had done their best, but their best hadn't been good enough, and that somehow the system had failed the girls. And their psychologists are at a loss. If they couldn't be separated, and if they couldn't live in the world, without each other, how could they ever develop normally? It seemed like their future was doomed. When they turn 15, the twins are released and sent to live with their family. I think it's sort of about this time that their education kind of came to an end. They went on British unemployment benefit, and they retreated to their bedroom. And behind closed doors, tensions would flare between the twins. A lot of their relationship was really a struggle and sometimes a physical fight for an individual identity. And the world that had once rejected them would soon seduce them both. They're having sex, they're taking drugs. The twins just went off the deep end. It was like something snapped. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. After a failed separation, identical twins June and Jennifer Gibbons are back together again. Now 15 years of age, the twins lock themselves away in their bedroom. I think everyone felt that they had done their best, but their best hadn't been good enough. Behind closed doors, they begin to behave in strange and sometimes dangerous ways. June and Jennifer have cut themselves off from the world for over a year. Their parents were well-meaning people, but they were absolutely baffled by what they were dealing with. They couldn't penetrate this wall of silence that June and Jennifer had created. Gloria very firmly felt that they weren't suffering from a mental disorder. Girls, Jennifer. June. I think as a mother, it was very difficult for her to believe that they were. Mum and Dad didn't know what to do. They'd just been shut out by the girls. The twins' bond was just unbreakable. They just wanted to stay at home and sit in their room all day and have no contact with the outside world. The twins refused to leave their room. When the girls wanted to communicate with their siblings or parents, they just write a note and slide it under the door. It might say something like, uh, turn on the television at nine o'clock and leave the room, and the parents obliged. I think it must have been very difficult for both Gloria and Aubrey to have this sort of lack of communication with their daughters. Aubrey was working, Gloria was working, they had other children. It was a busy life, they were trying to get by. Behind the closed door of their small bedroom, 
The twin sisters have created their own private sanctuary. That was their world. That was their domain. And the intensity of emotion and activity between those four walls of the girls' bedroom was something that was almost palpable. Hidden in their bedroom, Jennifer and June let their vivid imaginations take flight. This was where they wrote, was where they recorded their radio plays on tape recorders, posters on the walls. That was the world they created with each other. They had lots of dolls who were substitute people for them, who came alive in this room. The dolls were invariably Americans with really elaborate names. Using their dolls as actors, the twins direct dramas that usually end in bloody violence. <laughs> She's dead. Inevitably, something would happen to these American dolls and it would end in death or amputation. Your doll's dead. Why did you do that? Soon, the sisters shift their focus from the stage to the page. The twins each received a diary as a gift from their mother, and they started writing down everything they did in their lives. They were naturally talented with the pen. They couldn't escape from each other, so releasing some of that pent-up emotion that was building up inside them was probably their only release. They wrote diaries and documented their lives in detail in their diaries. And what's significant and interesting about the diaries is that they were also a very good record of their relationship with each other and their feelings about each other. Burning with creativity, the twins decide to take their writing skills to the next level. Their imaginations were on fire, really. So then the next thing they did was that they sent away by mail order for two portable typewriters, and they started to write novels. Their mother often heard the click-clacking of the twins' typewriters late into the night, as she had no idea what they were writing about. They dreamed of being published authors. This was a way that they could communicate all the things that they were feeling to the rest of the world. Their stories are dramatic, often violent, and usually set in the United States. They were obsessed with America, the ideas of America and what it was all about, and most of their stories and books were based on that. They were voracious readers, so they had absorbed American culture from books comics, newspapers, all kinds of material that they read that led them to become obsessed with American culture and American teenagers. One of Jennifer's books was called Discomania, and it was really full of quite violent imagery, quite troubling. And June wrote a book called Pepsi-Cola Addict, and they hoped that this was going to be their way to fame. But it was not to be. They sent their novels to a sort of vanity publishing house and self-published them. They hoped they'd be bestsellers. They weren't. It's yet another rejection by the outside world, and the Gibbons girls take it hard. 
June and Jennifer, after a while, began to realize that the fantasy world that they had isolated themselves into into their room wasn't enough. Soon, the Gibbons twins will outgrow their small room. Their emotions are starting to explode. This sends them into a frenzy. June and Jennifer decide they will be heard, no matter what. What they then do is start setting fire to things. For years, identical twins June and Jennifer Gibbons have cut themselves off from the outside world. June and Jennifer had quite a bit of anger towards a society that had rejected them. Mum and Dad didn't know what to do. They'd just been shut out by the girls. They just wanted to stay at home and sit in their room all day and have no contact with the outside world. Now teenagers, the girls crave real-world experiences, but the sisters are about to tread down a dangerous path. When June and Jennifer turned 18, they began to fantasize about being the wild characters in their books. They remembered there was a young boy who had befriended them, and they discovered through their own research that his family was still living in the area. He had three brothers, three young American boys. Contact with real American teenagers was a dream come true. But in the presence of the boys, the twins freeze. Come on, come party with us. Come on, let's go. Come on, this way. Come on. I didn't speak to them. I think the American lads thought it was quite amusing. They were just a source of entertainment for them. June and Jennifer quickly become infatuated with the American teens. I think for the first time in their lives, they felt like teenagers. So part of the fun would be getting ready, getting all dolled up, getting in the taxi and let's go and see the boys. Keeping the boys' attention while staying silent proves difficult. So they try another approach. They found that the alcohol was good because it made them less shy and it enabled them to talk. So it made them less self-conscious. It kind of reduced their inhibitions. The vulnerable Gibbons girls soon become sexually active. They're willing partners because they want to know more about the world and they want to know about their bodies and they want to know about sex. One of them lost their virginity first to one of the boys and then the other quickly made sure that she did too. Competing for the boys' attention drives a wedge between the twins. While they were hanging out with the American boys, I think that had probably evoked feelings of rivalry, feelings of jealousy. Just like the twins had competed with each other to write the best novel, they now competed with each other to get a boyfriend. It stirred up some anger between the girls. 
a lot of their relationship was really a struggle and sometimes a physical fight for um, an individual identity. But there was a real sort of power struggle on and sometimes I think they even wrote in their diaries that the only way they would be free is if one of them was dead. But soon June and Jennifer make a painful discovery together. One day when they saw on a postcard that they picked up by chance in the boys' house that the boys were returning to America. And that then felt like the end of their world. It's not fair. What are they doing? June and Jennifer were devastated when the Americans left. It meant they had to go back to their old lives or find something new to fixate on. This was just another rejection for the twins, which was made worse because they actually loved the boys. Now abandoned by the only lovers they had ever known, the Gibbons girls look for ways to feed their anger and resentment. They had become obsessed with crime to the extent that they decided they were going to embark on some sort of spree. They began sort of hanging around on the streets and looking for trouble, really. And they started breaking into places. Their first attempt was to break into a special educational center near to where they lived. They broke in and they vandalized the place. They stole a few things. But that was just the beginning. Little by little, the twins accumulate a series of successes as thieves. And no one was expecting such extreme behavior from the twin girls, so they had no trouble getting away with it again and again. They would break into a place and actually telephone the local police and tell them that they'd broken in. You should come and see. It looks quite nice. Quite and then put the phone down. Over time, the twins' criminal behavior evolves from stealing to destruction. The Gibbons girls wanted to attract attention and they started random fires around the town. They're just determined to direct their loathing at the surroundings. Each fire is more devastating than the last. The twins wanted to be known as the greatest arsonists the town had ever seen. They finally fulfilled their goal when they burned down a tractor store. This is a really big crime. They've hit a peak here. They've caused 100,000 pounds worth of damage as arsonists. But June and Jennifer soon take their spree too far. And they went to Pembroke Technical College and they broke a window to gain entry and a security guard heard the sound of breaking glass and alerted the police. The police arrived promptly, caught June and Jennifer and arrested them. And that was for them the beginning of the end. Following the twins' arrest, detectives uncovered damning evidence in their bedroom. Detectives found diaries which they'd written detailing all their crimes, which made it very obvious that they had wanted to do these things. And they wrote lovingly, almost, of the flames licking the building and my glorious fire and that somehow this would immortalize them and give them a place in history. Quite grandiose kind of intentions. It was all just a big cry for help. 
the twins were locked in a game and they never realised the consequences. The Gibbons twins are brought up on formal charges for their many crimes. June and Jennifer are tried on 16 joint counts of arson, theft and burglary. During their trial, the Gibbons girls sit together, eerily silent, as the court debates their punishment. Friends and family wait with dread. Well, that is a horrible feeling, really, because we knew something was going to happen. They couldn't be sent to prison because of the nature of their behavior. There wasn't really a place for them, but they had to be incarcerated because of the crimes they'd committed. The court is left with only one option, Broadmoor. Broadmoor then was a psychiatric hospital for the criminally insane, where people like Peter Sutcliffe was placed, the Yorkshire Ripper, and others of that ilk. And here we had people who I saw as children being committed to this establishment. Behind prison walls, the twins descend into madness. Jennifer attacked a nurse. June won't speak to anyone at all. The twisted irony of it was that Broadmoor were actually making the twins crazy. And the Gibbons sisters will soon realize that there's only one way out. One had written at one point, I know I will die young and way before you. It feels like a Shakespearean tragedy. Rage at the outside world fueled June and Jennifer Gibbons' crime spree. It's amazing that no one died during some of their antics. Because these twins aren't your typical criminals, prosecutors have decided there's only one place they can serve their time. Broadmoor houses some of Britain's most notorious criminals who have been declared insane. As a result, there are many people there who are psychotic and if they're not given the appropriate amounts of drugs, would be very, very, very dangerous. Well, it was dreadful. You know, they've stolen their childhood, really, I felt. And we as a society had done them enormous wrong. Once incarcerated, the 19-year-old Gibbons sisters are separated for the second time in their lives. They put the girls on different wards. They were allowed to see each other in the evenings at weekends. Now torn apart, the twins descend into madness. Jennifer attacked a nurse, something that was totally out of her character. June won't speak to anyone at all, and when Jennifer tries to speak, she's unintelligible. The twisted irony of it was that Broadmoor were actually making the twins crazy. Increasingly violent and unruly, the twins are placed under heavy medication. June and Jennifer were both prescribed 
very powerful antipsychotic medications because their condition appeared to deteriorate in Broadmoor to where they began to take on psychotic-like symptoms. The drugs made them feel hazy. It was a bit like having a sort of fog in front of you. Under sedation, their vivid imaginations dry up. June and Jennifer are convinced they cannot survive as a pair. They decided that as June was the firstborn and the stronger one, that she would continue to live for both of them. I don't know whether it was actually a pact between them that one had to die for the other to live, but I do recall that in her diary, Jennifer had written at one point, I know I will die young and way before you. Although Jennifer was more controlling in her behavior, they both knew that June had a better chance of surviving in the world with her own identity, her own personality, free at last. After 11 years of incarceration, the Gibbons twins finally catch a break. It was the month before their 30th birthday, and they were finally given permission to leave and to go to a semi-secure unit in Wales. The twins realize freedom is within their grasp, but the morning of their release from Broadmoor to Caswell Clinic, something's amiss. That morning, they boarded the bus for Caswell. June already sensed that her twin was unwell. Fearing prison officials might not release them, the twins remained silent about Jennifer's condition. Jennifer was feeling really quite unwell, and they didn't really know what was wrong with her, but they didn't think it was anything that serious. And then the unthinkable happens. First day of freedom, out of Broadmoor, bang. Jennifer dies. They both loved and hated each other in equal measure. It was a struggle, ultimately, to the death. June is allowed to be with Jennifer one last time. June was brought to the hospital and was allowed to see her sister. And she took the hat and the earrings that Jennifer had been wearing and kept them as a mark of respect. Jennifer's death remains a medical mystery. An autopsy revealed that there were no drugs or poison in her system. She had literally died from a broken heart. But her passing liberates her twin sister. I saw her last Wednesday, and... She was a warm and outgoing. I was able to give her a big hug. You know, after all these years. She shows compassion. She's supporting her mum, uh, helping her with her shopping, all of those things. Which isn't bad for a psychopath, is it, really? Today, June continues to flourish and holds her twin close to her heart. 
She said, I'm a twin, I'll always be a twin. She felt that she had this duty of responsibility to live her life well for the two of them. It feels like a Shakespearean tragedy. The story of June and Jennifer Gibbons continues to resonate with all who have heard of the silent twins. Were these girls evil twins? No, I don't think so. I think they were both victims. They were victims of a system that just failed them on many counts. Sometimes, what's labeled evil is simply fear of difference. Everything about this story is an enigma. But every so often, stories like June and Jennifer's are thrown up to confront us and to make us realize that we can never fully understand what it means to be an identical twin. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.